From WCOZ, Where's Cause Radio, this is The Stray Mile. How do you say hello in Chinese? 你好. How do you say please? Please, 请. 你好, 请. Yes. And how do you say um, thank you? 谢谢. Hello, please, and thank you. That's sometimes all you really need. I'm Matt, and this is The Stray Mile in Beijing, China. Stray Mile is part wild goose chase and part riding exercise. The riding you can find on straymile.com, and the wild goose chase is on the trail of my former English teacher, Kaz. He's moved to Asia, and I'm trying to find him, and Beijing is the first stop. Back in high school English class, Kaz was really good about pushing us out of our comfort zones when it came to reading and appreciating literature, or writing and expressing ourselves in words. Travel can do the same thing, push us out of our comfort zones, especially when we go somewhere really strange and unusual and like nothing we know from home. And my friend Dave, he's an expert when it comes to finding those places that are not exactly comfortable. He traveled with me in Beijing, and I asked him to list some of the stranger places he's been. Moscow, Russia, uh, Poland, Mexico City before that, Panama, um, Algeria I went to last spring I went to the Caucasus last year as well uh, that was Georgia, Armenia a little breakaway Republic of Abkhazia uh, which was an interesting one um, before that, you know um, Ukraine a few times, Moldova the Balkans uh, Kosovo, uh, uh, Albania Serbia, Bosnia uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan went to a few years ago. Uh, Those were interesting ones, unusual for people from (laughs) the United States like us. Uh, um, Yeah, Um, Egypt during the 2011 revolution, uh, that was an interesting time to be there. Uh, Right after, I suppose, it was the summer, and that would have been earlier in 2011 that that happened. The Arab Spring. Exactly. It was post-Arab Spring. It was... uh, uh, Arab Summer. Right. It was in that time uh, between when Egypt had ousted Hosni Mubarak, but hadn't brought in or hadn't held elections for a new leader, so it was still sort of under military rule. Uh, and then they, of course, they had that brief period of democracy under Morsi, and then now they're sort of back to how things were. But at the time, it was very uh, uh, sort of, uh, there weren't really any rules, you know, and there weren't like police controlling things and stuff, but it still felt fairly safe just a little bit to, uh, not what you'd expect, I suppose. Yeah. So a lot of those places aren't necessarily the highest on many people's uh, travel lists. Why did they earn the trip for you? I think when I uh, first got to Europe, um, especially uh, I, I uh, did a semester abroad when I was in college in, in Berlin. And, uh, of course, when you're a college student, you don't have a lot of money. Uh, but you want to travel because you're over there and you don't know how long you'll or when you'll get back to Europe. And you got to use that opportunity to travel. And I just thought, especially Berlin being so close to places in Poland and all that stuff, I just thought to myself, uh, use the opportunity to go east rather than go west. Because, first of all, going west is just going to cost you more money. Uh, and, uh, you know, places like Paris and Florence are always going to be there. You know, uh, and I will get enjoyment, probably more enjoyment out of going there when 
uh, knock on wood, I'm older and have a bit more money <laughs> as opposed to a college student, you know, and how often will I have the opportunity to easily travel to these places to the east that seem a bit more interesting? Uh, and that sort of lit the fire. And then after I did that a few times, uh, I realized that uh, going to these places where you don't necessarily see a lot of tourists, but there's definitely a lot of interesting things to see uh, was pretty uh, exciting. You sort of get a much different experience. You know, there's no such thing, to my knowledge, as a, you know, Bishkek Kyrgyzstan food tour that you can do in some place like Paris or New York or Barcelona or whatever. Um, but there's certainly a lot of strange, interesting things that you can eat and uh, uh, cool things that you can see. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's different to go to places like that, I think. And it doesn't always have the comforts of going someplace in Western Europe or, or in the Caribbean or something like that, but uh, uh, equally uh, rewarding, I would say. Now you said easy to get to uh, from Berlin to, say, Poland. Um, but some of your trips that you've told me about have involved travel that has been less than easy. What were you telling me yesterday about your trip to Abkhazia, I think, and crossing the border? Yeah, yeah, that... Uh... That wouldn't qualify as easy, uh, but uh, yeah. So that one, uh, that one involved uh, flying into Tbilisi in Georgia, uh, and um, there is this breakaway state sort of sandwiched in between Russia and Georgia, called Abkhazia, uh, and to get there, uh, you have to. Uh, as an American, you're just allowed to go in and see it, although it's sort of an unusual spot for people that aren't Russian or Abkhazian to go to. Uh, and you have to take a overnight train to this border city, Zugdidi, and then you have to take a taxi from the border uh, that takes 20 minutes to half an hour, and then you uh, have to wait once you get to the border, because there's only one overnight train, so once you get to the border, it's about 6 in the morning, you have to wait until 7 uh, for the border to open. And then you walk across this rather grim-looking no-man's land with a lot of potholes on the road and this uh, eerie-looking bridge uh, until you get to this big gate, which is the Abkhazian border. And, of course, Abkhazia is an hour behind Georgia time zone-wise, so you have to wait another hour for the border to open on the Abkhazian side. And then uh, after that, and dealing with... Uh, it's controlled, the border is controlled by Russian military, so you have to uh, show uh, your passport to them, and they stare at you for a while, and if you're like me and don't really speak any Russian, um, it is just a sort of an experience of them looking at you, asking you things, you just kind of nod your head, and then uh, after about 10 to 20 minutes, they let you through, and then you take another two-hour bus ride uh, to Sukhumi, the main city, and then you're finally there, and it's a long trip. It's I mean, it, I said it was grim-looking, of course, with the uh, uh, sort of like a... Um, bleak infrastructure but it is actually beautiful there because you're right in the caucasian mountains and it's it's really really pretty and then you're on the it's in between the caucasian mountains and the black sea so geography wise it's beautiful but uh, uh it's a bit of a different uh <laughs> a bit of a different atmosphere in every other respect not exactly just uh getting a your rail pass and taking trains willy-nilly all over europe is it no no it's it's not that why put yourself through that I think there's a lot of, there's, it seems like there's fewer and fewer places like that that you can go see these days. I mean, um, it's really a different kind of 
world uh, going to a place uh, like Abkhazia. Or uh, similarly, I went to uh, Transnistria a couple years ago, which is this politically similar breakaway state in between Moldova and Ukraine, also recognized by Russia, uh, that is sort of like going back in time uh, in terms of uh, just... I mean, of course, they're, they're, they're uh, much poorer countries than uh, uh, Russia or other places further west in Europe, but uh, just the uh, architecture and atmosphere of it, uh, the people... It's all, it's just very, very different and very, very unlike anything you would see elsewhere. You know, it's the kind of experience that uh, you can't get everywhere. And I don't know how long places like that are still going to remain as unusual as they are. But on top of that, and especially in places like Abkhazia, it's, it's, it's like this very strange cultural situation, but also, man, political situation, but also incredibly beautiful. Uh, so it's like you get this mix of everything all in one. Uh, so, uh it, to me, I mean, to me, it just seems obvious why you would want to go somewhere like that. But then you talk to people about it, and they think, "Why the why the hell would you ever do that? You're nuts." Uh, that seems miserable uh, and a lot of work to go to some place that doesn't really have much appeal. But uh, I mean, it just depends on what sort of enjoyment you get out of out of your traveling. I guess you know. Do you like unusual experiences, unique experiences, new experiences for people like you and me? Or do you want to be able to relax on the beach and uh, not have to think about anything and have Mai Tais and fresh seafood, uh, you know, uh, sleep in a hammock? I mean, that's also very nice, too, but it's just a different kind of vacation. And I can completely understand that, too, but uh, depends on what you want. But that doesn't, that keeps you in your comfort zone for the most part. A lot of the trips that you've been on, you, whether you've, actively sought it out or not, you've, you've likely ended up outside of your comfort zone. What are some things that have, uh, that stick out in your mind as like, oh man, that was, that was definitely unexpected and pushed my boundaries. I've had a few, you know, experiences that were different for me. Um, talking about going to Poland one time, I, I, uh, hitchhiked through Poland to get from one town to another that had a bigger train station. That was an interesting experience. Hadn't really done a lot of hitchhiking, so that was new for me. Um, or spoken much Polish, I, I assume. No, uh, and thankfully it was near the German border, so it got picked up by two different people, one of whom spoke a little English and one of whom spoke a little German, so ended up working out. Um, but that was sort of a relatively innocent experience. I never really felt that, that concerned. The one experience beyond anything else absolutely sticks out in my mind as the most uncomfortable I've ever been uh, traveling. And that was uh, just uh, this past April, or May rather, in Algeria. You know, Algeria is very much a uh, police state type country, you know, uh, not necessarily that friendly with the United States. Uh, and, you know, you have to go through the whole visa process to get there, and it's, it's, it's relatively strict in that regard. Um, and it feels strict when you're there, you know, in terms of like just uh, how much of a control, how much control the government has on things. It was, well, I mean, at least in the, uh, at least in the big cities, which is where I, uh, stuck to exclusively. Uh, and I traveled there with my brother who speaks, uh, Arabic. And I mean, Algeria gets, I guess, a somewhat decent amount of tourists, mostly all from France. And so their entire tourism industry is French speaking. Neither my brother and I really speak any French whatsoever, but he speaks Arabic. So, that already struck people as unusual for us. Um, and we get into the country fine. We flew into Algiers and we spent a couple days there. And then we flew domestically to this little town 
or this not little, I mean, it's a city relatively small compared to Algiers, I suppose, right near the Moroccan border uh, called Tlemcen. And we get off the plane there and we're already through customs. So we're thinking, you know, this is just a routine domestic flight. We don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to go through any security checkpoints once we get off the plane. You know, we're fine. And we uh, were the only two obviously appearing Westerners on the flight. Uh, and we get off the plane, walk through uh, the doors to the baggage claim area, and immediately this cop or some form of law enforcement spots us and is like, you guys, what are you doing here? And uh, he tries to talk to us in French first and then a little bit of English, and then he realizes my brother speaks Arabic, which I think could have been a problem for us because then, then the guy's like, oh, what are you doing here? And uh, he... Basically, for a little while, he's just sort of like holding us there near the baggage claim, and he's like, don't worry, it'll be fine. We just need to check with someone. And then the next thing you know, we are sort of ushered into this little police station room in the airport, uh, and there's like another cop there who's in plain clothes, and he's like being real friendly with us, and then this guy is kind of being a jerk. So very <laughs> good cop, bad cops, <laughs> universal, I guess. Uh, and talking to us like, what are you doing here? Why did you come here? Uh, what are you in this city for? Uh, what do you do back home? What's your job? Where did you, I mean, to my brother, where did you learn Arabic? All that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, I'm sort of just kind of sitting there while my brother's having this conversation and then like turning to me and asking questions to me to help answer. Uh, and I mean, it was probably more stressful for him because he had to actually speak more with the police than I did. But we ended up staying there for like an hour uh, and didn't really know how long we would be there for. Uh, the guy like called our hotel to make sure we actually were staying where we said we were going to stay. Uh, and then at the end of it, you know, he, he calls somebody, talks to somebody on the phone and they decide after that, that they've checked out whatever they needed to check out and they were going to let us go. But then he said, you can't actually go into the city like without a police escort. And we were like, what, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, yeah, no, you, you can't just walk around in the city. That's no, that it's not allowed. You have to have police with you at all times. And I was thinking, what is this guy talking about? And then he tells us that, and then he orders us a taxi. We get in the taxi, we start driving to our hotel, and the taxi driver, we asked him, like, uh, what is this guy talking about? Is that really true? And the guy's like, I don't know what that guy's talking about. And so that was sort of the end of it. We never heard anything about it after that. But that was only, like, three days into, a, like, a week-long trip. And after that, we were just like, whoa, <laughs> okay. In other Middle Eastern countries, like Jordan or whatever, if you get into trouble, like, you're not really that concerned as much as you might otherwise be because the sort of diplomatically those two countries are so friendly and the US wields a lot of influence there but Algeria is not really like that so you feel a little bit more on your own if you start to get into trouble like with police or that kind of thing and not that we had necessarily done anything wrong but it just sort of like made you realize that like oh yeah it's pretty easy to actually just go flip a switch and then the next thing you know you're in big trouble so yeah, that one shook us up a little bit, but now in retrospect, it's just kind of entertaining. But at the time, it was like, Jesus, that was that was stressful. <laughs> Makes uh, Beijing seem like a bit of a walk in the park, I suppose. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, just the fact that you see other tourists around and people are friendly. I mean, yeah, there's like an infrastructure here for tourists. Yeah, it's it's a it's a much much more relaxed atmosphere in that sense. Having said that, Google works in Algeria, so. <laughs> Yeah, we've uh, we didn't really plan that one out, did we? We found that uh, well, I guess we knew it, but we're now using Microsoft's Bing search engine because it works here, and Google is completely blocked, and 
we're finding that that doesn't work that well either. But yeah, it took me uh, until 24 hours before we left to finally download an app on my phone that has a good map program on it where I can actually use GPS and look things up. For our last day, then yeah. we're going to know where we're going, huh? Exactly. So is is there anything that particularly motivates you um, or anything from your past that motivates you to like, you know, seek out these kind of trips and be like, you know, this is really what I'm after. I don't want to sit on the beach necessarily um, in the hammock. I want to I want to see, seek out these challenges. Is there anything is there a particular driving force behind that for you? To me, all these destinations are varying degrees of enjoyment, right? So even going to Paris, you can have an amazing time and it's a lot of fun and you'll have great food and it's totally worth visiting. So, you know, it's a sliding scale of fun. But uh, my thinking of it, in, th- this thinking has only increased since I've moved back to the United States. And I guess I moved back in, in July of 2016 after being in Germany for four years. Uh, and while I was in Germany, and especially as I started to realize that I was probably going to move back within the next year or two, uh, I started to think to myself, oh man, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have such an easy opportunity to travel consistently and to travel consistently to places that, from the U.S. at least, would be pretty significant to get to. I mean, to fly to Kazakhstan from the United States is a long trip, you know. It's like a six-hour flight just from central europe so add that to the u.s i mean it's a long trip to make um inexpensive you know to get to egypt or algeria from the u.s is it's not a cheap flight i mean normally so i started to realize that you know i'm only a couple hours on a plane away from a lot of these places uh i really should get to them as soon as i can or you know while i still can so easily and now that i moved back to the u.s I've, i've i've just kept thinking that i mean i sort of made an effort to continue working in a capacity where i could travel easily uh, but you really realize it's definitely a much bigger uh, ask to do it from the U.S. And you got to be more um, thoughtful about when and where you go uh, if you want to keep it realistically affordable. I guess I'm just – the big motivator is, is do it while you can because I, I definitely know that it's not, – not everyone's always in a good position to be able to easily travel to uh, sort of far-flung places whenever they want. And so I'm just thinking I should take as much advantage of it while I can. Uh, and, and, and having flexibility and being young and being uh, a bit more um, laid back about things makes going to these places a lot easier than it otherwise would be. So I'm just trying to uh, do it while I can. And it's fun. So why not? What does it take for a, de- a destination or a country to to make it onto your list of places you want to travel. I mean, how do you arrive at the idea that you want to travel to Kyrgyzstan, for example, or that you want to go to Moldova? It's not as exciting as you might think. For both of those trips, particularly for Central Asia, I a lot of these places I've gone to with my brother or one other friend who likes to go to these types of places as well, and um, it's basically been a, a situation where we've said to ourselves, all right, we've got two weeks to kill here, where can we go that seems pretty interesting and has affordable flights? And so that's essentially why we decided to go to, I mean, we decided to go to Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan because a week before we got there, they implemented this new visa process where you didn't need to go through the whole song and dance to be able to get into the country. You can just go. So that motivated that. And when I went to Moldova, again, I'd always wanted to go there because 
it just seemed interesting to me. Not a lot of people go there. It's like a tiny little country you don't hear a lot about. Uh, without knowing whether it was true or not, I said to myself, oh, there must be interesting things to see there. Uh, you know, it's a whole, it's an entire country. You know, obviously they must have stuff to do. Uh, and a friend that was traveling through the region in the one week that I had to travel said, during that week, I'll be in Moldova. So, I mean, had I been able to go a different week, it might have been a different country. Uh, but that sort of was why I went there. Uh, and uh, I think, especially after those two trips, because those were two of my earlier trips to more far-flung destinations, I guess you might say, uh, really made me realize, oh, man, like there's a whole lot of different places you can see that are like this. Uh, that, you know, this sort of like post-Soviet countries have a whole, generally a much different vibe to it than traveling through Western Europe or whatever. And so those really helped put the, uh, light the fire, I guess, I mean, to visit more of these post-Soviet states uh, because uh, I didn't really necessarily know a whole lot about it and wanted to learn more about it and really uh, enjoyed my time in those places. So, uh yeah, and, 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 and in general, uh, I mean, Eastern Europe's a pretty easy place to travel through as, like, an American person. Unlike if you travel through, uh, you know, Panama or El Salvador or something, where you, it's like, you know, they see me as a 6'2 white guy <laughs> with an American passport <laughs> speaking English. It's like, oh, well, okay, obviously this guy's a, a, a tourist. Uh, you can sort of blend in a bit more in Eastern Europe. Um I mean, you still stick out as soon as you open your mouth, but it's a different experience, and it's um, sort of, you can be a bit more of like a fly on the wall when you're sort of observing everything, and yeah, it's fun. Kind of like a 6'2 uh, white guy here in China. Well, like I told you, that's why I decided for the first time ever to travel with one of those backpacker backpacks, because I figured I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb anyway, so uh, <laughs> why the hell not? Uh, <laughs> but you know, there are actually, there's a lot of tourists here, and a lot of expats it seems like. I mean, I uh, I guess that shouldn't be surprising. It's a huge international city. But I I mean, I hadn't really done a lot of research leading into this trip. I just sort of got on the plane. Getting on the plane and going, sometimes that's all there is to it. Then before you know it, you're in Beijing. You're at a restaurant looking at the menu. And you see some pretty interesting translations of Chinese dishes. My grandmother cooking green beans. Aunt Wang that you would step pork chops sauce explodes the diced meat. Sounds a little funny, but grandmother's green beans were absolutely wonderful. We only had a few days in Beijing, and one of my other podcast guests unfortunately fell through, so that will actually do it for this edition of the Stray Mile podcast. But I am trying to find cause here in Asia, so there is one more bit of important business. I'm looking for somebody, and his name is Kaz. Kaz. Do you know who he is? No. You haven't seen him here? No. I think you speak for everybody in Beijing. Maybe he's just not here. Maybe I need to try somewhere else. How do you say goodbye in Chinese? 再见. Beijing. And Konnichiwa, Tokyo. And that's where the Stray Mile will continue on the next episode. Don't forget to check out StrayMile.com for more stories from Beijing and also from Tokyo. And if you've got a story about getting out of your comfort zone, I would love to hear it. You can send me an email at straymile at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt from Beijing, and we'll see you next time in Tokyo.